It is time to tune up the band and get extreme. I can't do a Paul, good Paul Heyman impression. Like, I'm <laughs> That's trying actually really thing. difficult, honestly. It's... Oh, I suck at Paul Heyman's <laughs> voice because mine just sounds really squeaky. <laughs> Can we just try, like, uh, I don't know. I'll, be, I'll tell you what, we'll get Dino in one time and we'll let him do the yeah. Paul Heyman impression. As yeah. long as his Rob Van Damme I'm Paul Heyman. That's how I suck <laughs> My that. name is Paul Heyman. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Heyman. That was all right. The only Paul Heyman, the only Paul Heyman voice I can do is the Brock Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love how I've not even said a welcome to the sweet chinwag. My name is Sam. <laughs> Joined as ever by Dad Reardon and Paul Heyman. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, gents. They hated me Bria. because I spoke the truth. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. How are you, gents? How you doing? I feel good, you know, being the reigning, defending podcaster. It feels good. Feels good. <laughs> I thought that was going to be a bit more grandiose, and I thought you were going to go and, like <laughs> a grand proclamation of something you were going to do. Look, there. yeah, look, yeah. I I got to save some energy for the entirety of the podcast. I can't like just hit it all in one blow. That's, that is true. That's fair. That's fair. Anyhow, we give you this podcast free of charge, thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud. Then, now, forever now, pending. Forever. <laughs> Pending, baby! <laughs> <laughs> but before we get on to part one of the history of ECW, we have to hand it over for the first time ever to a pre recorded Dan for this week's Wrestling News. Dun 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 dun! Hi everyone, it's Dan here. We're recording the news segment a little bit differently today. It's just me on my own. Uh, but it's got me feeling like a news anchor. So, as ever, welcome to Wrestling News. Uh, we're going all the way back to Sunday to start. Uh, starting with Clash of Champions, which I'll be honest, I thought was a really, really good pay-per-view. Um, the IC title match featuring uh, Sami Zayn, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles uh, was a really, really good match. Uh, the, a lot of the feedback and review I saw, and it was really, really great. I think uh, Sami... Keeping his rightful uh, IC title was absolutely the right choice, and I think he's done great with it, especially looking on towards the SmackDown that was coming. Uh, I really think he's found his place as a kind of cheating heel. I think it fits him well, and I think he plays it really well. Uh, so, really, really glad of that decision, and really, really impressed, honestly. <clears throat> uh, Oscar beating Zelina Vega. I think a lot of people saw this coming. Um, I definitely think Zelina Vega needs a bit more legitimacy to come with her. Uh, obviously, for those that do know her time in uh, TNA Impact as Rosarita, <coughs> know just how good she is. Uh, and so I definitely don't think it's outside the realms of possibility for her to at one point in the future hold the title. But be it that she's largely been managerial uh, in her WWE run, um, I definitely think a lot of people weren't expecting it, especially, you know, the kind of way that she won um, her title shot over Mickey James, who I think a lot of people were expecting to take this place. But <clears throat> it's still really, really impressive to see her, you know, take that spot. Uh, 
And I think it'd be really cool uh, if in the future she gets another chance. I definitely think she needs more time uh, for people to really get behind her. <clears throat> but I can really, really see it working. Uh, another strong showing from the Street Profits. Obviously, we know the situation regarding WWE's tag division. It's pretty weak. It's pretty thin spread. Uh, so, I mean, they just keep doing what they're doing, and they're doing great each time. It's a shame we've seen them face um, Andrade and Garza about 19 billion times, but I still think there's a lot of promise there. And I think given the right team to work with, they could really put on something fantastic. Montez Ford and Angela Dawkins are really, really great. Uh, Orton versus McIntyre was a really kind of... Uh, it was a feel-good match. Again, I don't think people... I mean, a lot of people were really wanting uh, Randy to win. Um, had lots of kind of... A little bit hokey with the kind of legends coming in, hitting their moves and doing whatever and... You know, Shawn Mike was doing the really big dramatic, like, Lion King push off the ambulance. But uh, I think there was a lot to love out of this, and I think it's really just taking the McIntyre reward view, just that next little extra step. Um, again, I think this is one that just needs a bit more time, a bit more to work with. I think with Hell in a Cell coming up, it's quite natural for those two to work it together, and I think they could put on something really, really great, especially with a lot of the other matches that could be coming up for Hell in a Cell. Uh, otherwise, I, we have to talk about Roman Reigns and the heel turn, uh, the match of Jey Uso, which was honestly just fantastic. Um, the build was really, really well done, and we we all kind of knew Roman was going to win. But in the same way, we all kind of bought into Jey Uso, which I'm really, really impressed by. You know, a lot of people said that this pay-per-view was very predictable, and it was. But I really think they did the best with what they could, um, and really got the most out of it, and really done some really good storytelling with this, especially the uh, Roman Reigns Tribal Chief storyline working with Jey Uso. So I'm really interested to see where this goes. Uh, obviously we'll have bits coming up from SmackDown later, but um, honestly, really, really impressed with what they've done. I think this is the place where Roman should have always been in. Rather than them trying to push him as a face or any kind of thing kind of like that. Obviously people have been saying well, what will this build to in the future. Whether or not this will be like a Roman Rock situation. I don't know. But I would be impressed to see that. I definitely think this is the kind of long term storytelling that WWE has realized they need to buy into. This is the thing that keeps people invested, and it's the thing that really keeps people coming back each time. You know, it really keeps people hooked in. They want to see what's happening next, and it's definitely something that they've been missing for quite a long time, actually, and I'm, I'm really happy to see them return to it. And so, with that, we'll now get into our first news story. Uh, and I just want to take a moment to talk about the whole situation regarding WWE and the Twitch accounts of wrestlers and things like that. <clears throat> Obviously, we are in a situation where we are willing to learn a lot more about it. Uh, a lot of things are still kind of up in the air. We don't know the full terms of the agreements that are being made. But, at least from how it seems, WWE wanting to take control of those Twitch accounts... Um, and then put those against the downside agreements, uh, affecting the earnings of WWE wrestlers who are streaming. Um, obviously, the future is very uncertain for a lot of those people. Um, and from what we can tell that's been put forward by Andrew Yang, 
is that future contracts will actually involve streaming obligations uh, with those choosing not to um, after signing the contract agreeing to stream actually foregoing earnings facing suspensions or a punishment and honestly for me this is awful i i hate the premise of this in every single degree i understand the sense of needing to control your content and needing to control those that are under you obviously it leans into the further debate around are WWS's employees or independent contractors they maintain their independent contractor status um but it is really important for us as fans to be talking about this because a lot of people watch WWE wrestlers streaming. It, it For some, it does generate a large amount of income. Um, and so, you know, WWE wanting to just get their hand in the pot of money really needs to be critically looked at. We really need to be thinking about what they're doing. Um, you know, it's just really, really surprising that this is going down and I feel, almost feel like I shouldn't be surprised at this point but we'll just have to wait and see obviously a lot of the stuff that we've seen coming out is quite reactionary um, and from people who are generally opposed to WWE's uh, practice of keeping people as independent contractors so uh, we'll be keeping updated and be looking at a lot of the developments coming out of this but we're hoping that the situation is going to change so, following that, we'll get into the weekly review. Obviously, we are starting with Raw from Monday. Uh, and obviously, the biggest thing from Monday is that we didn't have uh, Retribution appear or Raw Underground. Um, as we understand it, Retribution will be in kept off TV after possible exposure to a person who did test positive for COVID-19 in WWE. Um, obviously... <laughs> This leans very hard into comments regarding WWE's practices and actually protecting talent, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, again, Raw Underground was kept the same because of people who were involved in the production and involved in the crew for that uh, testing positive. But, again, real interesting to see what this will actually mean for it now that they haven't made an appearance. Um, obviously, Raw, Raw Underground was getting a little bit of a cult following, and it was getting a little bit of support. Um, it was definitely an interesting thing that was going on, but I'm hoping that this one-week break won't really kind of consign its end, um, especially for the people in Retribution, because, you know, in terms of unfortunate situations of unfortunate situations, they really got stuck with it. And having to take them off TV for two weeks is going to be really unfortunate. It's going to kill any steam that they have, uh, any real envisioning of them my fans is a credible threat i mean most of their fan support and most of the time getting over has been through their interactions on twitter and i think even that's kind of losing steam at this point uh the fact that we haven't seen them on tv really does harm them um but hopefully it doesn't spell the end for them because they're all fantastic talents they're all fantastic performers and you know they really do deserve the platform just not in a not in a way like this. Uh, following on from that, we then had the kind of continually weird practice of WWE just doing title matches. This show was off the pay-per-views. We had Asuka versus Alina Vega again. Again, it's just kind of the same comments. You know, Vega needs more time. 
Vega needs time to build the legitimacy, sell Vega as a contender against Asuka, um, and go from there. I don't know why they keep doing this practice of just having title matches like the show after. They, no one's. I don't know that anyone's excited for it. I don't know that anyone's like, oh, there's a title match on Raw. I need to go and watch that because they've already watched a, a title match. And to have it change hands the show after the pay-per-view feels just really, really odd. Again, I, I don't really get it. I, I'm i sure there's maybe something that I'm not realizing about it. But there's something to it. <laughs> we had the return of Bobby Roode. Uh, very happy at this. Uh, going straight into a main event position exactly where he really should have been. We know how good Bobby Roode is. The match against McIntyre was fantastic. Really, really well done. Uh, so... Really glad to have him back. He'll be a big boost to the Raw roster. And it should be really interesting to see where they go with him. I'd love to see him potentially pivot to the US title picture. Uh, just as time after his return. Um, if they wanted to move him into the more main event picture, I think that would be great. Um, I think he could work well with McIntyre. I think he could work well with Randy as well. I think Raw definitely has a lot to do in terms of its main event scene. But I definitely think there's good potential there in Bobby Roode. He could really do something for them. Uh, I do want to talk about this Murphy storyline, and I know it has been very divisive. Um, in my opinion, the context of Murphy and Alia doing the whole them talking thing in a context where we have had the speaking out movement doesn't quite sit right with me in that we've had and uh, we've had a very real environment of wrestlers contacting underage vulnerable um people and you know young women having Murphy, con you know, in contact with Alia in like a <laughs> weird kind of romance storyline after all this stuff has happened, especially after those of you talent had been implicated in it as well. It doesn't sit right with me. I know obviously people are going to levy the statements back about, you know, oh, well, she's, uh, she's of age and everything and all of that, but Honestly, I'm. It doesn't sit right with me, and I think it's a little bit tone deaf from them. Uh, moving on, Ali definitely deserving better. We've seen Ali, Cruz, and Ricochet versus the Hurt Business over and over. Now they obviously have Cedric Alexander, who is a fantastic addition for them. Really, um, really interested to see what the Hurt Business do. As I said last week, they are absolute money. Um, but I definitely think they could be doing more with them. I definitely think they could pivot the Hurt Business into a main event faction. Uh, having them in the US title picture just seems a bit odd. Again, I think they should really be mo maybe moving Bobby Lashley up into that spotlight. Um, moving the whole group up, really. You know, I would, I would be interested to see, you know, 
MVP is the manager, Bobby is the single star, and then like Alexander and Benjamin, like maybe tag holders. Um, that would definitely bring something to the tag division. Or if they wanted to recruit the Street Profits, would be another interesting way of, you know, pivoting them into the tag division. Um, I definitely think it's an option for them. Um, but again, it just depends on how they really want to build things. Um, but yeah, no, we need more from Ali. They've got a ready-made storyline in, in him to go with straight away, and it will just work fantastically. Why they haven't decided to pull the trigger, I don't know. Maybe there's just so much resentment for people who aren't, like, you know, have the cruiserweight tag. You know, Drew Gulak was in there, and now he's involved in the 24-7 title picture, but he really shouldn't be. You know, he should be doing way, way better than that. You know, we know how good Drew Gulak is, we know how good Mustafa Ali is, we know how good Ricochet is. It's just because... You know, it seems like a lot of it is because they are cruiserweights, so they just don't get the valuation they deserve. I think each one of them could be a title holder, you know, easily on their own. Whether or not that's, you know, Drew Gulak maybe competing for the IC uh, on SmackDown, which he was on. I don't know if he's just moved over for the sake of the 24-7 title. Uh, but, you know, he could be involved in that picture, I think. You know, Ricochet could easily be involved in the US title picture, especially against Bobby Lashley and the amount of matches they've had. You know, you've got a pretty much ready-built feud there. In fact, it's about the closest thing they've had for a feud, uh, aside from Apollo Crews. Um, and you can ha easily have Mustafa Ali going back to that main event position, just trying to reclaim the chance that he should have already had. So it's, it's a weird one. I, I'm not sure, and I know I'm one of those, you know, cruiserweight pride people. So... <laughs> Maybe it just fits so appropriately for me, but I definitely think they could be doing more with them. And now we move on to NXT, uh, and thankfully for NXT, they are actually putting the Cruiserweights right into a spotlight. Um, Isaiah Swerve Scott and Santos Escobar had a really, really good promo exchange. Um, I definitely see the match between them uh, potentially being a show stealer for TakeOver that's coming up. Uh, really, really impressed by the two of them and the build they've got, you know, the work that they've put in to build this has been really, really good. Uh, and I'm really sold on it. I'm really, really, really impressed by it. Uh, Kushida looks amazing. Uh, they've kind of given him this kind of semi-punisher gimmick, uh, often going off to Dream and Austin Fury. So I'm like all behind him. He's like the number one baby face in the company right now. Uh, really impressed by him, though. He looks fantastic. I'm really looking forward to the match between him and and uh, Dream. Uh, definitely see Kushida winning. He definitely seems to have a lot of the fan support. And he just looks great in the ring. And I think we've been waiting for that <laughs> for quite a while now. Uh, Shotty Blackheart took an awful bump doing the slice bread off the ape on the apron. Really, really scary. It was like an all-Japan bump. Straight on top of the head. Still, you can't question the commitment. And the match against Dakota Kai was, again, fantastic appearances by uh, Kel Gonzalez and uh, Rhea Ripley. Again, really impressed by them. The NXT women's division continues to just be fantastic. Uh, again, I, I think there's just more 
more of what I want to see. I'm, I'm really impressed. I, I They really built this takeover really, really well. Uh, Rich Holland looking fantastic again. Again, not much else that I can really say. He looked great. Cameron Grimes looked great. Definitely building into one of the fan favorite characters, Cameron Grimes. Definitely need more of him. Definitely need more of Rich Holland. If they want to put him into the maybe North American title picture, it would be really interesting. Uh, I don't know that he's quite there yet, but again, he looks great. He looks really, really good. And so, I just wouldn't be surprised if they decide to start elevating him. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly build against Bala. Again, fantastic. Loved the way they did this segment. Uh, really made it feel natural. And I'm happy that they really focused in on both guys' past. Uh, the fact of Kyle O'Reilly never getting to have this match before was really, really good. And it really, really sold <clears throat> both guys' intentions behind it. You know, each one looked really, really involved, like they were staring down the competitor. It almost felt like, you know, the build-up to a boxing match or something. You really get the sense that the two of them are just going to go in there and absolutely try and just destroy each other. Which I think is so appropriate for the two of them. You know, it, it speaks to the kind of divide that's been generated between the two. So like I said, fantastic build. I know a lot of people are saying, well, what does this mean for UE? What does this mean for Kylo Riley? What does this mean for Bala? Uh, it's hard to say, really, because, I mean, all of us were saying that uh, the Undisputed Era were meant to move up to SmackDown. Uh, and they never did. So maybe a UE split. Uh, but maybe not, though. But still, really, really impressed by what they put out and what they've been managing, really, I definitely, you know, this is an event, the takeover, that I am excited for. I am so bored into this. So going on next, we had SmackDown. And I don't, again, like I said, I don't know what it is with these weird, like, two-part title matches after pay-per-views. They just keep doing it over and over and over again. Yeah, and we had Sami Zayn um, do amazingly against Jeff Hardy. They've won a really good match. But, like I said, it's just, it seems weird. I, I don't really get the the booking of it. Uh, hoping that uh, Zayn's, you know, thrown away IC title maybe gets thrown into the picture. I, I don't think they're going to want to resume the whole, you know, double IC champ thing after just doing a bunch of booking around it, but it could be really interesting. Haha, <laughs> just really unfortunate for Chad Gable. Like, really, really unfortunate. He's been dealt such a bad hand. Because uh, the thing is, out of the people, out of the two in American Alpha, I thought Chad Gable was probably the one that was going to go further. I thought they were going to try and sell him as like the next Kurt Angle. They ended up picking Jason Jordan, which didn't work out, unfortunately. But Chad Gable can do so much more. You look at the form, that German suplex, like, he deserves way better than this. Uh, and just getting squashed by Sheamus all the time. Uh, again, same. Better for John Morrison. He shouldn't be jobbing to Otis, who uh, I'm going to remind you, Otis is still the Money in the Bank holder. Uh, John Morrison should be like... I mean, he's mid-card, upper mid-card. Could definitely be a mid-card title holder. 
fantastic build for the Fiend um, and the Alexa Bliss. Uh, really, really impressed by what they're doing with this. Um, you know, worked really, really well. Hopefully we get heal Kevin Owens out of it as well. Definitely need a return of heal Kevin Owens. But um, I'm just constantly impressed by what um, Bray and Alexa are doing with the Fiendsist, Abigail kind of thing. Like, I'm, it's really impressive. Yeah, Alexa really got those acting chops down. You know, really, really impressive what she's able to do and how she's able to sell it. You know, I was really getting a strong horror movie feeling from what she was doing. And I'm, like I said, really, really impressed. Uh, we now know that the mystery woman is Carmella. Um, interesting promo by her because she said that she, you know, she'd got nowhere. Which is weird, though, because I'm pretty sure she had Money in the Bank twice. She was a SmackDown Women's Champion, so I don't know what the <laughs> the issue there is. I'm guessing it's just a matter of the promo and just trying to sell her return. But, you know, weird to, for her to say that she got nowhere. Uh, but still, uh, interested to see what she'll do now she's come back. Um, not really sure what her gimmick's going to be. It's either looking like I'm better than you and you should all recognize it, or it's just like a rehash of the beautiful people from like TNA circus like 2000, what, like 7, 8? Uh, but still remains to be super interesting. Uh, again, really interesting to see what they do with it. Um, and then finally, the continued build for Jey Uso. Interesting that it's Roman challenging Jey to Hell in a Cell, because normally you'd think of it as a thing where the face wants to heal, like whether he'll keep running away, but now it's just a case of, you know, <laughs> we get the feeling that probably uh, Roman's just going to straight up murder Jey Uso, you know, Jamie's going to be, like, trying to get into the cage or something. We'll have to see where what goes down, but it definitely looks like it's going to be definitely going to be an interesting one. Uh, so now that the weekly review is done, we'll just quickly uh, slide over into the rest of the news. Uh, we have Impact back on UK TV, which is a huge thing for them. Obviously, you know, it's not massive in the realms that they were with Premier Sports, Free Sports as well. Uh, but again, getting onto TV over here is really, really big for them. Uh, and it's going to expose a whole other audience, especially with the addition of it being on Freeview again, which is one of the things that helped contribute to uh, TNA slash Impact's growth initially in the UK. The rest of the news, we now know that uh, WWE Draft will be happening across next week. Uh, interesting to see who will come and who will go from brands. Um, I guess the real big ones to be thinking about are uh, probably going to be Big E. Uh, I'm hoping he stays on SmackDown so we get the build to Big E and Roman. But uh, I definitely think there are some people that could maybe do changing over. Uh, but still remains to be seen though, and it actually remains to be seen how closely they'll keep the brand split. I know a lot of people have been saying that the brand split rules have kind of been, you know, pretty vaguely kept and basically make no sense. But still coming across, really, really interested to see uh, how it goes. Uh, uh, just going over to AEW now. Um, the match between Ricky Starks and Darby Allen was fantastic. Like, really, really impressed by them. They did really, really great in-ring work, and the, the selling and the psychology of it was 
really, really well done. Uh, like I said, just really impressed all around. Um, definitely two future stars for them. Two people in the future could be really, really big for them. Uh, just going over as well now, uh, the Ring of Honor Pure Tournament is currently happening, and uh, if you aren't currently a person that watches Ring of Honor, I would definitely recommend looking into this. <clears throat> uh, it's been a fantastic tournament already so far. Uh, Jay Lethal winning in this first round match. Uh, Gresham versus Wheeler Yuta, uh, who if you don't know Wheeler Yuta, um, you should definitely get on to. He's a fantastic wrestler. I'm really hoping that Ring of Honor actually pick him up. Uh, but again, future matches as well with uh, PJ Black versus Tony Deppen, which looked great, but the, the quality there has been really good. Uh, also the match between, I believe it was, oh God, I believe it was Josh Woods, um, was again another fantastic piece of booking, uh, really exemplifying what makes uh, the pure rules and Ring of Honor Pure tournament so different from a lot of other uh, wrestling events out there. So if you haven't already checked out, please do. It is fantastic. Uh, and then just finally going back over to the G1. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying a lot about uh, Takagi versus a certain British wrestler who's known for doing flips in the Sasuke special. <laughs> uh, but um, I thought this was a really, really great sequence. The rest of the match was fantastic as well. Um, like, it was really, really impressive by the two of them. Really sold that they knew each other. Um, and so I'd definitely love to see, you know, Takagi working more and putting in that kind of performance. But he, again, it was fantastic. Uh, the win for Sonata was great. I know a lot of people were tipping Sonata to be uh, an early favorite. Uh, I can definitely see now that if they are going for that, they're going for the whole kind of more kind of underdog build, get some more support for Sonata. Because uh, he is only on two points currently, a lot of people are expecting him to kind of run away with things. Uh, but still, hopefully, you know, he kind of gets that slow build, you know, he's coming up from the bottom only on two points, and then ends up going all the way to the end and making it to Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, but Ibushi's been fantastic. Uh, the real surprise out of the tournament, and maybe this is just a reflection, but by New Japan on the rest of the year, but Toriyano coming out with six points. Uh, getting wins over Tanahashi, Sonata, and Evil, who have all been big main eventers for New Japan, uh, is really, really interesting. I wasn't expecting them to go there, but maybe it's just a reflection from them. Maybe we'll have Toriyano at Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, I'd be interested. Um, it would definitely be uh, an interesting one if we got like Toriyano versus Tetsuya Naito or something like that. Um, I know people have been expecting Kenta to be doing better, but I think a lot of the focus they have with Kenta is they want to have him face uh, John Moxley for the IWGP United States Championship. So I can definitely see that being more of a focus for them on that, you know, on that vein as well. Uh, Jeff Cobb as well, that looked pretty great. Um, and again, a few others that have, um, have been pretty impressive. Overall, the standard of the G1 has been pretty good this year. Um, by my, I mean, I would say it's been pretty fantastic, but I know some people are saying not necessarily as such. But like I said, it's just really, really interesting to see the direction they're trying to take it. 
Um, and I'm really hoping that they uh, kind of go for that slightly rise from the bottom, very New Japan, almost King's Road-esque, you know, fight from the bottom for Sonata. I definitely can see Sonata being a main eventer for New Japan and really taking a big place for them. Uh, and I definitely think they should go for it. Or or they could just go for Koto Ibushi again, and I'd be perfectly happy. But with that, uh, that ends the news. And that was the pre-recorded wrestling news. Ba 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 ba. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it, Rin. How do you, you do can't... these things? <laughs> Listen, it is training, meditation, a lot of a surprising amount of yoga, a surprising <laughs> amount of yoga to get it perfectly right. Is this the second week we've mentioned DDP yoga? Shameless plug! Shameless plug! <laughs> it will us. happen. I will Sp- make you two do it. <laughs> no, one, we're going to do it. Two, Diamond Dallas Pay, DDP, if you're listening, sponsor us. We will shield your <laughs> yoga happily. Hey, look, I've been doing it for a while now. I have nothing bad to say about it. I need to get back on the horse, though. I have not really done it since lockdown began. So I feel like uh, I need some inspiration, uh, Dally. Give me some inspiration, DDP, please. I need inspiration to move, period. That that is a mood if I have heard. (laughs) My God. Jeez, did you have to be so savage? I've never felt so... I've never felt so attacked by something I so wholeheartedly agree with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway. Yes, anyway, let, let us move swiftly on to this episode. And it is part one of a two-part special. Yes, we are talking Ooh. about ECW. Or actually, as it should ECW. be pronounced, ECFNW. <laughs> oh, my goodness. ECW. So for part one, we're going to be chronicling the the original incarnation of ECW, all the way from 93 to 2001. And in part two, we will be chronicling uh, not only the ECW One Night Stands of 2005 and 2006, but the revival of WWE ECW, which went on from 06 to 2010. Uh, but for this one, for part one, we are going to be starting right at the beginning which, as the sound of music will always tell you, is a very good place to start. Uh, 1993. Actually, we could go a little bit further back here because we can talk about the incarnations in the late 80s and the early 90s. ECW had its original origins under the banner of Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, owned by one Joel Goodhart. Um, as a matter of fact, a fun little fact here is that the uh, ECW would continue to use their heavyweight championship as the ecw championship for a little for a little while even though ecw and todd gordon didn't actually can con- con- or didn't think of themselves as a continuation of tri-state wrestling uh, but uh todd gordon thank goodness i mentioned his name he was part uh he actually sold goodhart sold his share of tri-state to todd gordon who then rechristened it as eastern championship wrestling and then became a member of of the National Wrestling Alliance. Now, this was at the time, of course, where the NWA was kind of out of fashion uh, because Jim Crockett had just sold his share of his promotions over to Ted Turner, and then he made the the conglomerate known as WCW, and they were well on their way of becoming the behemoth that they would become. 
But uh, before I get more into the early days of ECW, gentlemen, question I always have to ask with these retrospectives, what are your first memories of ECW? My first memories of ECW was actually it's WWE incarn incarnation. <laughs> it, look, I'm sorry. It was honestly mm. before my time, way out of my <laughs> orbit. I and I do often wonder whether I would have enjoyed it or not, honestly, if I had been back in the day. Because it's like, as we will obviously get to, it was so violent. It probably would have just given me nightmares <laughs> as a child. Like bad ones. Like I will say it was a good thing that my introduction to ECW was much later in my life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh. I don't it's so it's so funny to me because I'm like, nah, it would have scared the piss out of me. It really would have. <laughs> oh, man. Then thank goodness in that sense, guys, you didn't get it around the time I watched it. Because I there was a very short time in the UK where ECW was shown uh, on Bravo of all channels. Oh, of course, yeah. it's always Bravo. It always comes it's back to always, Bravo in this country. It's always Bravo. <laughs> but it was a very late night showing of ECW, and it was around I think it was oh, 99, sure. 2000. I'm sure that was their way to get past all the TV <laughs> restrictions. Absolutely. But I specifically remember, and we will get into it when we come to the later, the twilight years of ECW, but uh, I think it was Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn's rivalry for the TV title was well in its um, was well in its swing, and I remember one one match. I think was the was I think it was the main event of that match of that evening, if memory serves me correct. But no, great match. And uh, yeah, I think it was only ever on British TV for all of a flash of a pan because it came and yeah. left as soon as it arrived on so TV. Can I can I share my introduction to ECW? Absolutely. My first introduction to ECW as a thing on TV was through, uh, I believe, SmackDown versus Raw 2006 because Holy they had God. the revived ECW on there. That's right. Um, they made a big wow. deal of that. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, was it 2007, uh, it was featuring... actually? I think it was 2007. If I, I remember the Undertaker. Hmm. I remember the Undertaker was on the cover. I, think yeah. I believe that was 2006. Actually, right. If memory serves me correct, 2006, that would have been John Cena and Batista on the cover. Oh, okay. Then it might have been 2007. 2008 2008 okay 2008. Two, 2008 then two yeah. years later than i initially thought it was. <laughs> anyway um i remember they had the revived brand on it but very specifically my first exposure to anything ecw was um my brother showed me uh some raven matches hmm. and that was my first ever exposure to uh original ecw per se which was watching a bunch of matches featuring raven and also rhino yes good mm. good 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 shots to start off with <laughs> when it comes to so, looking at original ecw i mean original when it comes to original ecw they're probably like two of the biggest names <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean alongside your guerreros your dean malenko's and then alongside yeah. uh, like tommy dream your tommy dreamers your dudley's your Taz's. It's Taz! Um, <laughs> and countless, countless others. 
But uh, yeah, a I love that call so much. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. I, me too, man. That's the reason I said it. That's the reason I said it. Anyhow, back to where we were. In 93, Eastern Championship Wrestling becomes a subsidiary member of the NWA. At the time, Eddie Gilbert was the lead booker for ECW and had managed to secure a television slot on Sports Channel Philadelphia starting in April of 93. They, for a short time, ECW uh, at that time was growing quite big in the Philly area. And it was shortly after the TV deal that Gilbert had a falling out with Todd Gordon and then was replaced by the then 28-year-old New York native and businessman, the former Paul E. Dangerously of WCW, Paul Heyman. Fuck off, is he? Was he 28? He was 28 years old. No. The thing with with Paul Heyman is, you know how some people say they eternally look young? Paul Heyman's eternally looked old. (laughs) He has been... Because I go and watch, like, VT from, like, back then, and, like, Paul Heyman basically just looks the same as he does now. The only difference is he was wearing a leather jacket and a baseball cap. Yeah. And always carrying... And at at that time, of course, because of his gimmick in WCW, always holding... A brick mobile phone. <laughs> well, my favorite. Well, my favorite ones were. Uh, do you remember you used to come out and you used to wear like what I use? I used to call it the fishing vest. Oh crumbs, yes. <laughs> like you know when you see that stereotypical thing of people who work in like a TV studio and they were wearing like the vest with like nineteen billion pockets on it. I call it a fishing yes. vest. <laughs> yes. It was that, and when he always used to walk around with the headset. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love that. <laughs> Such such a, such a great such an iconic look for Paul, for sure. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, he was brought in as lead booker, and immediately, uh, if you have seen the network special of the Untold Authentic History of ECW, highly recommended, as well as the documentary The Rise and Fall of ECW. Uh, yeah, absolutely Paul, watch that if for those that mm, haven't. Paul came in with the mindset of he wanted to completely rebrand ECW to be kind of a very much more realistic in a sense very hardcore style of wrestling and he wanted to get rid of the the eastern part immediately uh from ecw as he felt it was pigeonholing uh, the company to never really properly expand across america and across the world um because he was i mean he was happy that they were making waves in philly and new york but of course that's just a small chunk of a bigger no, that's not enough for Paul Heyman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Never truly uh, enough that's, for Paul Heyman. That's a question, um, Sam. If you have an answer for me, this would be mm. great. Why was Paul Heyman so into, like, hardcore extreme wrestling? As a, now, great question. And I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that. Because his mindset, his credo at the time of the 90s, was... Uh, music industry was really going for a massive revolution you had hip-hop hitting the charts you had uh, nirvana coming out and really making grunge the mainstream thing it is and it was changing not only the music industry but it was changing culture as it is as it as we all know it yeah paul really wanted to ride the zeitgeist of that kind of attitude and that uh of that um style of what the music industry was going through and he was also massively inspired by um, Japanese wrestling, about the Japanese deathmatch wrestling, the, the companies like Big Japan and FMW. And he wanted to kind of take a slice of their pie and see if he could translate it over to America. 
Hence, you know, why he decided to go as soon as he kind of got the booker job, he immediately started making those changes. As a matter of fact, I think his first booked segment was uh, the opening match. Uh, the tag team public enemy came out and beat the absolute crud out of uh, a jobber tag team. And they were hitting them with baseball bats constantly, like not stopping relentlessly and blinking and bleed all over the place. And that was kind of like the first stamp of Eastern Championship Wrestling adopting a much more extreme hardcore style. Um, and it all kind of culminated in 1994 um, with the NWA World Title Tournament. Uh, so... In 94, Jim Crockett's non-complete uh, clause with Ted Turner, who had purchased his uh, stake and then created WCW, uh, was up and wanted to promote the NWA once more. Of course, the NWA had kind of fallen out of uh, fashion and was considered yep. a kind of a, 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 an archaic uh, remnant of it was the, the It was industry. the old head promotion. Yes. Mm. Uh, it was, And it wasn't seen as a very serious thing anymore not with the likes of wcw and wwf absolutely kind of being uh the trailblazers yes even in 94 wwf and wcw were considered still the trailblazers and innovators dear (laughs) god (laughs) so crockett went to todd gordon and asked him to hold a tournament for the nwa world's heavyweight championship in philadelphia uh all, all to take place in ECW under the banner of ECW. So the NWA president at the time, Dennis Corralozo, I'm hoping I pronounced that right. Uh, he alleged that Crockett and Gordon were going to try and monopolize the title, um, and Crockett didn't have the NWA's board's approval. Um, so which resulted in him, Dennis Corralozo, uh, overseeing the tournament and actually being there in person. And so Gordon, kind of being a bit miffed off that they didn't trust him decided to uh well began contemplating a plan to secede ecw from the nwa in a very very public manner that would not only attract uh like attract you know the fans that were in the arena but also the wider wrestling world as it was so i know i'm on a side tangent here but could you imagine you know you're like the nwa president and you're like yes i want to go and oversee this tournament and like the first thing you see is just someone get like smacked over the head with a chair yeah. bleeding instantly that's something i that is something that like like you telling that story of how it started i was kind of like oh so it literally started that way that was its establishing moment <laughs> pretty much it was kind of like little bits trinkled here and there but it wouldn't come until the moment i'm talking about to have it where yeah. it was every single match was like that so the final match of this NWA World Title Tournament was going to be Shane Douglas and Two Cold Scorpio. And Gordon planned alongside with Douglas and Heyman to have Shane Douglas throw the NWA's World Heavyweight Championship on the floor uh, as an act of defiance and then pick up the ECW uh, World Championship. This is probably a, one of the fundamental turning points in the 90s for wrestling, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I highly recommend if no one's seen it to go and not only watch the promo, but watch kind of, if you can find bits and pieces of the tournament, absolutely go and watch it. It's, it, it, it is a good, good tournament, actually. I'm no, not going to lie. So yeah, Heyman and Gordon originally planned, um, 
to have the title thrown down, like Douglas to throw the title away and pick up the ECW championship. Um, he did much persuading of, of Shane Douglas uh, to do that. Uh, but he did say to him at one point, it's like, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't do it. But if you feel like you can be confident enough to, 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 to go for it and keep the promo going, absolutely, by all means, do it. Uh, but he was persuading, like Heyman was persuading Douglas, saying that the negative, uh, the negative would be that the NWA traditionalists would just see him as a traitor to tradition. Um, also, of course, Douglas um, had quite, quite anim- had a lot of animosity to the NWA. In particular, everyone knows the infamous relationship that he has with Ric Flair. He's not the biggest fan of Ric Flair. <laughs> Apparently Shane Douglas was buried tremendously a lot by Ric Flair. So that's take of that as what you will. Um, are you saying, it, are you saying this was the original Omni Flair? Maybe. <laughs> maybe oh my God. That. This is the original Omni Flair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ultimately like, even the NWA president didn't think highly of Shane Douglas. Apparently, he just thought he was fat, lazy, didn't show up to shows. And ultimately, that was enough for Douglas to go through with Gordon and Heyman's plan. Mm. Uh, inspired, actually, in part by his own father's motto of doing right by the people that do right by you. And so when he won the tournament, he lifted up. The NWA's World Heavyweight Championship was listing off the greats who had won the NWA's World Heavyweight Championship. And afterwards, after naming, listing off those names, he goes, all of them can go and shove it. And he just throws the title down. And then he states that the ECW Championship, this is the real world's championship. Um, to a massive pop, actually uh for 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 an ec double for an eastern championship wrestling show and the buzz it created was unparalleled to anything that they had had before um Uh, so i just want to give some context for our non-wrestling fans listeners dan's pokedex everyone this is this isn't a pokedex as much but it's more just a a (laughs) bit a bit additional context it's kind of hard to find additional terms to describe how big the act he did is in the context of wrestling, especially at the time. Yeah. But, you know, taking a world championship, throwing it away, and then claiming another one as the true world championship is a really, really big thing. Yeah. And so for... To take... I mean, so what we're saying, that the NWA at this time was falling much out of favor it was still kind of like it still had a lot of legacy love to it as i said it was a very old head promotion the traditionalists like it liked it um so for a for what was effectively an nwa territory to take the nwa heavyweight championship and go "Ah, i don't care about this this is our one we care about this is a really really big act and it can't really be overstated uh you know how big of a thing that was i mean obviously it fits into the cultural the cultural time of the 90s when you know that counterculture was main culture absolutely. if that makes any sense absolutely yeah. no if it, it fits in the time very well but it was a very big thing to do <laughs> absolutely absolutely so 
the fallout from this was as follows. Uh, Payman would recall saying that the NWA was old school when old school wasn't as hip anymore and they wanted to set out their own mark and create an independent promotion where they could take it across the world and do the things that they wanted to do. Kuralozo um, was not happy and declared that Shane Douglas would be the uh, NWA's World Heavyweight Champion whether he likes it or not, calling his actions a disgrace and he would ha- move to have Douglas stripped of both the NWA and ECW cha- championships, calling him undeserving of both titles. Uh, Todd Gordon would make an announcement the next day, uh, saying, I listened with great interest as the representative of the NWA board of directors took it upon himself to inform you that they have the power to force the NWA ECW or NWA ECW not to recognise the franchise Shane Douglas as World Heavyweight Champion. Well, as of noon today, I have folded NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. In its place will be ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling, and we recognise the franchise Shane Douglas as our World Heavyweight Champion. And we encourage any wrestler in the world today to come to ECW to challenge for that belt. This is ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, changing the face of professional wrestling. Can I just say, that's a massive fucking flex. Yeah. <laughs> really. That's a, really that's a big flex. It, it, it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the line of... Um, yeah, the uh, the NWA have chosen not to recognize him. Uh, so just so you know, we're no longer part of the NWA, and we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a ballsy move for sure. He has got such an energy about it just to do that. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So 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 good. And this is where we get to kind of like the iconic ECW, where it was. The no rules contests. It was much more hardcore, and as well as Paul really scouring the world to give us, or to give Americans the first kind of proper glances at Lucha Libre and Pure Risu and uh, the British style sometimes as well. But it was just the yeah. first first Americans got a great taste of all these different styles of wrestling, and so for this little tangent, I want to go off on. I want to talk about some of the most iconic names, really, that have been in ECW or were yeah. around at that time. Uh, of course, Paul Heyman was responsible for the the, the the influx of Lucha Libres that came over from Mexico to America. He is directly responsible for guys like Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, yep. Juventud mm-hmm. Guerrera, La yep. Parker... All these guys, like the, some of the most famous and iconic luchadors in wrestling, they're world famous because Paul Heyman brought them over to America. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did anyone ever, like, um, I was going to say, like, did Jushin Liger go to ECW briefly or wrestle matches for them? That was only, Jushin Liger only ever wrestled in WCW. WCW. Um, that was only because of the working agreement between uh, WCW and New I couldn't, Japan. I couldn't, I couldn't, re- I couldn't remember. I may have been thinking of uh, Psychosis, but I do know that. Look, they so. both have horns. It's an easy mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they ever fight? Have they ever fought Battle of the Horns? No, but that's something that should be done. That should have been done, I should have, I should say. Yeah. Should oh, man. Been, uh, Oh, that sucks. Uh, but uh, not only that, but also with the Japanese wrestling and Purisu, he was bringing over the 
the kind of iconic deathmatch names uh, over to, from Japan to ECW as well. As a matter of fact, as well, he also brought over uh, Takamichinoku for the first time in uh, yep. into ECW because uh, they had a uh, ECW and uh, Michinoku Pro had a working relationship. So you would see a lot of Japanese showcase um, matches as well in ECW. But uh, talking of all these guys, uh, we could talk... We, I mean, we can go on forever about some of the most iconic names. Tommy Dreamer, uh, the Dudleys, which ended up being, I think, ballooned to about... Like, I think it ballooned to about 17 family members of the Dudleys at one point. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Jesus I know. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about... Bubba Ray, Devon, LSD, which was Little Spike Dudley, Big Dick Dud- yep. Dudley, Dances with Dudley, <laughs> Dudley Dudley, and Dudley Dursley from Harry Potter. No. <laughs> <laughs> but so many Dudleys. But you know what? They got over by simply just wearing um, tie-dye and uh, dungarees. So they must Dude, that was something. it, though. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's amazing how they got over, especially but especially Bubba Ray and Devon being the tag team, and of course creating, possibly dare I say, the second best tag team finisher of all time. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, some I mean, because I know a lot of people would say the Doomsday best. Device. Some people will say the Doomsday Device, and I would say that the Doomsday Device is the correct answer because, as I've said before, I believe in the last episode when we were giving our remembrance to Road Warrior Animal, yes. people there were people that were literally too scared to take it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh man, that's like, okay, like, uh, that's hard to say because, like, the 3D oh, is. Yeah. Is I love the 3D so just much. It is the, the only tank team finisher I will ever give me and my mates when we do like WWE 2K. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if you want to talk about a finishing move that pops crowds, the 3D will always pop a crowd. Oh, the 3D oh. always will. Oh. I like. I think. I think. You know, it, it's kind of crazy. Um, thinking about the Dudleys and how like literally just like they were they were able to get a pop out of getting the table <laughs> yeah like, even in the ecw days they got massive pops for putting people through tables so that definitely like, wasn't a wwe creation i mean like, like no, literally literally the dudleys are the reason why it like getting put through a table is one of is on is my like, bucket list cool. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Whilst we're on the subject of the Dudleys, fun fact. Did you know that Bubba Ray Dudley was the man who who actually was handled finances and did business dealings uh, behind the scenes for, uh, for ECW, I should say? That is an amazing image. Uh, he would actually... What's funny is that, uh, of course, uh, he would go on record of saying, I couldn't obviously call up people like arenas and businesses and go, Hi, my name's Bubba, working from ECW. <laughs> 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 Somehow, I, I kind of like that image. <laughs> but, uh, no, he would end up using his real name. And, of course, because Paul would book the Dudleys, usually in the main event of of these shows when it came to the time of where the the arena uh and and uh the bookers would end up having to sort the finances out uh, count the tickets oh my god bubba ray would come down out of the ring after his match and do the dealings and to which to the (laughs) shock and horror of some of the arena owners 
Wow. Wait, okay, you're okay. the guy on let the me, phone. Let me let me just let me describe the image that's going through my head right now because it's the ride. <laughs> I'm just picturing like the Dudleys in like the main event of an ECW show, whatever, right? Mm. And then they, they and then Bubba's walking back, and like Paul Heyman's there and whoever else they have that's like sorting out the finances. And they're there and then like, you know, one of the one of the finance people of the arenas like. Oh, you okay there? You look like you walked in off of like coming through a table or something. He goes, you wouldn't know the half of it. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just imagining him coming in covered in blood and then just like doing his tax returns. <laughs> blood, blood and tie dye. <laughs> yeah, and just just ta- doing like tax returns all over. Paying the boys just like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think those tables were non were um, actually non deductible? <laughs> they were a business expense. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, given the fact of how much, like, uh, as you always hear from Paul, how much financial trouble ECW was always in. Yeah, I, I bet you any money. <laughs> it must have cost them an absolute Hell, We're spending it. Yeah, it's like it's like that thing that someone was saying that it was like, um, uh, man, whoever makes WWE's tables is getting good money out of it. Who was oh, making absolutely. ECW's tables? Because I reckon they're probably still fine now. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, I could go off the list of so many other names that we can go through. Taz, for example. I mean, that is that is booking perfection on the part of Paul Heyman, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, well, okay, I'll throw a thing out and just say, like, you know, who who is the person that you people may not necessarily associate with ECW that you really like? Um, honestly, um, Tommy Dreamer. Mm. But mind you, he is he is incredibly synonymous with ECW. So I guess if if I did have a second choice in that, I would honestly go for Eddie Guerrero, even though he was not there for mm-hmm. very long. The matches <clears throat> he had with Dean Malenko uh, and and Chris Benoit at that time were were iconic to say the least that is interesting um it's hard for me because yeah, like all the guys because it much. wasn't really as, i didn't know as much but i think when i think of ecw I think of Sabu because oh <laughs> uh, yes, the, the human wrecking ball. <laughs> because he was like like the first like name when like they say like the like oh featuring like Tommy Dreamer, Rhino, and Sabu. And I remember to in, be my, fair, Sabu in my in my like the greatest representation of old school ECW. Yeah, I just remembering mm. going. I remember going in my brain. Who the Fuck is Sabu? Let us remember and... that Sabu has had a main event match against John Cena. Just, <laughs> just, just, just take that into your head. <laughs> it was also like one of the two times you have actually hit the air, Sabu. <laughs> Look, it was a it was a two percent success rate. So give him that. Yeah. The two worked out every so often. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like who? I'm just watching this guy. I'm like. Who is this man, and why does he want to die so badly? Yeah, for those, for again, for those wrestlers, for those listeners who don't know wrestling that much, um, if you're if you're squeamish and you're or you're you don't really like um, 
things that could be considered slightly gory, just don't watch Sabu. Yeah. He looks like a man that set out to destroy his own body. I mean, <laughs> we, we could go through the laundry list of injury problems that Sabu has had. but the Have we got he's... three hours? No, we really <laughs> don't. We really don't. But the matches he had, I mean, with Terry Funk, I'll, yep. I'll leave it at that, man. I'll leave it yeah. at that, because those were some bloody affairs. Speaking of Terry Funk, oh my goodness. Yeah, speaking of other yeah. guys, Terry Funk, Dude, Terry Foley. Funk. Because um, I want to, I want to throw out a name. I I think people forget that he worked for them, but his I really enjoyed his run there. Mm. I want to talk about Tajiri. Tajiri was oh, um, Tajiri's run in ECW I thought was great. <laughs> Again, with that that bringing over of um, uh, Japanese talent, I believe it was was it Masato Tanaka they Masato brought over Tanaka as, well? as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, who had it really? Yeah, but dude, I love Tajiri so much. Yeah, that's Tajiri so was... good, especially Tajiri and Regal. But um, Tajiri's time in ECW was so great because I think it it was really a point of introducing people to the Japanese style. Yes, mm. yes. Uh, um, um, as well as just bringing over, like mixing those styles together, Paul was really great. Yeah, at that. I remember match crazy matches that he had with huh, super crazy uh tajiri and super yeah. crazy had some great matches together um, no he really really did i mean again talking about names we also got to talk about the couple of times where uh people from the other promotions from the other two promotions would come down to ecw and make a massive impact the one that all or the two that immediately spring to mind with me is of course brian pillman um oh dude brian pillman cut an amazing promo when he kayfabe left or was fired from wcw while still under contract with the may i add to pop up to ecw yeah. and cut that amazing promo which ended by him trying to take his trousers off and pee in the middle of the ring uh but this is brian pillman <laughs> That's for you the, just yeah i was gonna say this is par for the course for brian yeah. pillman not mentioning the other promo that he did yeah it's very infamous oh 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 yes that one uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one let's let's should, should we do, actually no i'll tell you i recommend people for this one go and watch wrestling bios video of brian pillman's time in ecw <laughs> and you'll see what i mean when me and dan go ah the other promo <laughs> it's it's an interesting promo for an interesting man. Uh, <laughs> and I will and I will say this um, as well. Go watch Brian Pillman Jr. because he's fantastic and he's Brian, deserving of every yeah. bit of praise he's ever getting because he's amazing. Brian Pillman Jr. is awesome. I, I agree with that one as well. The second and he has the confidence and he has the confidence to rock a mullet in 2020. Absolutely, he's dabbing the insanity. The insanity. No, yeah, none know. of that. None of that. <laughs> um, the mullet belies his actual wrestling skills. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So the second one, obviously, is Steve Austin. Yep. Uh, when he was uh, FedExed for, uh, 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 a, uh, a uh, resignation letter uh, from WCW, he soon enough jumped into ECW and cut some of the great greatest promos of the time really scathing hulk hogan and eric bischoff but also kind of being a bit of an his gimmick at that time was being a bit of an entitled what's it who was above being an ecw um and he ended up only having one match 
in W in ECW, and that Did was he against only, he only had one match. One wow, match against Mikey Ripwreck, uh, Whipwreck, who again is another person who is so iconic yeah. in ECW. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Mikey Ripwreck is so iconic that Steve Austin took the Whippersnapper and would end up, of course, christening in it as the Stone Cold Stunner. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. The Whippersnapper was uh, the Proto Stunner. Holy shit. I the did not know that. The only difference was that Steve Austin added the kick. Yes. Uh, and, and Mikey would, would just go into the Stunner. He, he, would, he would just do... You know like how Randy Orton does the RKO? That was like... The yeah. Whippersnapper was like the RKO, but with a Stunner. Right. He would just go into it. There was no kick. And he sometimes would do it on the second rope as well. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We've blown Reardon's mind by saying that. Yeah, this is wrestling lore. <laughs> I like, I knew that he added the kick. I didn't know that he got it from... Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I mean, who else do we go with? The, the Eliminators. Uh, Perry Saturn as well. I could go on literally forever, and I feel like I'd still Wait, miss out on, on, on so did, many did names. The, did the Eliminators... They did the the move that was the total elimination, wasn't it? Or oh, actually, no. The way you should pronounce it is total elimination. I was gonna say, <laughs> and then go fucking Joey Styles total elimination. I mean, like nineteen syllables in there. I'll say. All right, I'll say it this much: total elimination is the third greatest tag finisher of all time. Oh, it's so good. It's just two people kicking each other, kicking someone at the same time, but somehow it gets so hype. Go high, go yeah. low. There you go. Um, it's really good. And of course, going down into the into the later times of ECW, we have Rob Van Dam, we have Mike Awesome, Masato what Tanaka, of a kind? Um, yeah, Taz. Jelly oh, Lee. sorry as well. I forgot. To, I forgot to. I spent all this time talking about beforehand. Raven. Raven, of course. Oh my God. Sorry, we talk about grunge music. Not want to wrestle. <laughs> we talk about grunge music, and we talk about ECW, and we've not mentioned Raven. Oh God, I feel Raven bad. is the embodiment of grunge <laughs> <He> really, <laughs> in wrestling <really> form. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I could go on forever and ever. But as remember, we have only got a short amount of time, and we're only reached 1995. So <laughs> yeah, oh God. So. With ECW getting so and so popular, especially in the Philly area, they need a place to stay and regularly run and host uh, and shoot shows. This is where, of course, the former bingo hall under the uh, the Interstate 95 became the ECW arena. This is a hallowed ground in wrestling world. It's now known oh, as it the is. 2300 arena, and it still runs shows. Uh, surprisingly, even though it has been close on many occasions to closing down and being bulldozed over, somehow it's just become a, a staple part of Philadelphia. <laughs> I mean... Don't they? Don't they occasionally run the House of Hardcore shows out of there? Yes, absolutely, they do. Uh, as a matter of fact, now they do have a they have like a Hardcore Hall of Fame where they have banners of former ECW wrestlers as well as wrestlers that have passed away that worked in ECW as well. Yeah, because I know I I know I definitely arena. saw like uh, something for one of the House of Hardcore shows going from the the place. Yeah, uh, but yeah, what can I? What, I mean, what else can I say about it? It was a former bingo hall. The seating was pretty much simple folding chairs, four sets of bleachers, and was a very very hunky hodgepodge kind of place where you had a little platform where you would see 
most people jump off of that, as well as a lot of scaffolding, which we won't talk about the New Jack incident in that. And I mean, I know I haven't no. mentioned New uh, Jack. No, but, but man, we'll we want, we'll but, we'll move we'll move past that we'll bit. We'll move past New Jack. Well, <laughs> we'll uh, save we'll save New Jack for another time. <laughs> save, no, definitely, definitely, because um, man, I think I think my dude. favorite bit about yeah, no, he's a whole different creature. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my favorite bit about the ECW arena was the fact that like. There was so little space between the guardrails and the ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, so it really lent itself to like the outside of the ring becoming way more involved and it was way more condensed. And... <laughs> you know, I really liked it. So yeah, I, it's such an iconic looking thing now, and I think half, well, yeah, half of what made ECW ECW was the arena. And I think a lot of that as well was, can be attributed to the rapid nature of the fans in Philly at that time. Oh, yeah, fucking God. Yeah. They, I mean, you think fat, hardcore uh, wrestling fans, or smart marks, as Brian Pillman would call them, um, uh, were, uh, were, bad, were bad today. Oh, they were a whole different kind of breed back in the 90s in ECW. <laughs> they were rabid, and they let you know that they were rabid. Uh, of course, the most famous of those iconic rabid fans is the uh, the give me a chair scene where I think it might have been. Oh God, yeah. Uh, I don't know who it might. I, it's it slipped my mind who it was, but I think one of the rest of the shouted "Give me a chair" and the entire arena throws chairs <laughs> into the middle of the ring. <laughs> yeah, wasn't someone lying down in the middle of the ring too? Yes. I yes, can't remember who it was. I don't know why. For some reason, in my head, I keep thinking it's Perry Saturn. I don't think it is, though. I, for some reason, I was saying I was thinking Bulls Mahoney, but you know, I, I'll might... be interested to find but out. Anyway, who it is. There's, there's someone there's someone lying down in the ring, and someone's like, yeah. "Give me a chair," and then all of a sudden, the person in the ring is just covered by like thirty chairs. <laughs> yeah. So it's safe to say during '94. Uh, to, yeah, ninety four to to around ninety six and ninety seven, the ECW was making serious waves. Uh, they were one of the top uh, uh shows being watched on uh Sports Channel Philadelphia on Tuesdays. Uh, funny enough, all right, the funniest thing and the thing that makes Paul Heyman laugh even to this day is that they were being shown at 6pm on Sports Channel Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> completely unedited. <laughs> unedited and uncensored, may I add, as well. What? Alright, A, what the hell was Sports Channel Philadelphia on? And B, what the hell did they have in like their 9pm to like 1am <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's amazing how much the FCC over oversighted they at just that time. didn't care because um, meanwhile really... like me meanwhile like wwf were getting like warnings over language and then easy is like yes let me just crack this guy over the head with a chair at 6 p.m yeah. <laughs> prime time tv after everyone gets back home a, a um, lot of it too. has to do with the obscurity of the channels that ecw would, oh i'm sure end up going to as well mm. as the fact that how the FCC didn't oversee the fact that not only were these uh, uh, these unedited, uncensored, a lot of violence, but the extensive amount of copyrighted music and music videos that were yeah. showing on ECW Hardcore TV is insane. <laughs> it is a, a. How did they survive now for here, that long? 
is the story that will get the pair of you if you have not seen the authentic untold story of ECW. Around this time, around the, the, the mid-90s, Paul Heyman, with ECW getting so uh, popular, Paul Heyman was going around to different businesses and different investors and interest from different companies and from different parties. The one that came extremely close that was never told until Paul Heyman had talked uh, about it in this show was that there was a company that was willing to purchase a 49% interest in the company, uh, would deal with all of the pay-per-view companies, pay off the debts that they had had, and uh, would give them a much bigger platform to work on. That company was Disney. <laughs> yeah, Disney's the I love it. Can I have Snow White cracking one of the dwarves over the head of a chair and then Would putting sleepy oh, for a table? No, no, stop, I need <laughs> Could you believe that? Oh, right in the head of the Renaissance. <laughs> no, I'm just no, thinking, I'm no, just thinking I'm in sorry. my head, right? What year did you say this was? This was around 96. 96. Oh, 96. Okay, so let me just time frame this, right? This was like one year removed from like Mulan releasing. <laughs> Where was my Gaston versus New Jack fight? <laughs> New Jack versus the Beast. <laughs> Book it, Walt. <laughs> but no, of course, uh, Paul Heyman said that they were. Oh, it's the fucking ECW area at Disneyland. <laughs> They were. They you were can be so no, no, wait, no, wait, no. But that means that means that technically, like that means that technically, like there would be like Disney, like the Disney people who like do who are in the part the cast members. Mm. That means that we were like one contract signing away from seeing someone play Rob Van Dam for the rest of their lives. Mickey Mouse gets put through a table on fire. By the Dudleys, of course. <laughs> yeah, by the Dudleys. Team Free Disney. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> oh my god, I knew this would, this would end up like this. Can I live in the alternate... Can I, like, live in the multiverse oh. world where that happens? <laughs> somewhere, we... Somewhere there is the like... best timeline where that happened. Because oh, I was because I was thinking it was going to be either something like incredibly stupid, like an incredibly obscure company that have nothing to do with wrestling. Because mm. it's like um, I'm trying to remember who it was, but I remember there was like this incredibly random company, and they just invested in F1 team, and everyone was like, well, "I have no idea who these people are or what they're selling, but they're involved. They're invested." Or it was going to be something like Coca-Cola. <laughs> I was just like, Coca-Cola, ECW. <laughs> no, but you never would have Disney's even Disney's even better than anything I could have thought of as a joke. <laughs> yeah, that is the best. Um, so, yeah. Oh, my God. Apparently, Paul they Hame were... the Disney princess. They were... <laughs> Can we, uh, we, have, we have Ariel. We have Mulan. We have Paul Heyman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that means that in that timeline, Tangled is actually Paul Heyman's hair. It's uh, Raven. I was, was going to say, you know that you know that most of the Disney princesses have dresses. Well, Paul Heyman's dress would have been the long leather jacket. Uh, 
You gotta, oh, you gotta no. move on. You gotta move on, otherwise oh, I'm just no. gonna be talking about this for five hours. We gotta okay. just keep going. All right, Paul Haven uh, goes on record as saying that they were incredibly close. I mean, they were literally the pen was hang- was inches over the contract when the vice president of Disney saw what was going on. It was like. I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> Maybe our child-friendly brand shouldn't be associated with this. Uh, inc- it's, it's crazy how things turn around, isn't it? Okay. I think so... the thing is, it just makes it seem like Disney was completely oblivious to extreme championship wrestling. <sighs> yes, I reckon that they saw this company in philadelphia making some buzz and thought all right i want to buy a slice of the pie of that and then the vice yeah. president saw us like, oh, crap, it all it all seems still it, stuck in like 1992 and no, like, no, oh, no. eastern championship wrestling no no in all like i can't believe I, I actually have some historical context for this actually it actually as funny as it is it makes sense because this the 90s was the time where disney was actually properly becoming a conglomerate under yeah, uh, just like yeah, under media, yeah, un- under yeah. Katzenberg. That was when they really started actually buying companies. Yes, um, that is that is definitely true. Um, but, oh my god! So let us move on. Let us go back to '95, where Todd Gordon had sold his stake um, in ECW to was that Rump or Sirloin Cup? <laughs> There was a big fat juicy ribeye. <laughs> no, that that's that's a no. I'm sorry. That that's a that's a two dollar steak right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, which effectively made the head booker Paul Heyman uh, as the sole owner of ECW. Um, Gordon would remain uh, here and there. He would end up becoming like a like the kayfabe commissioner, um, but would eventually leave in '97. And this is when Paul really started doubling down on the expansion of ECW. Um, Not only getting all these homegrown talents done uh, into the company, but also, you know, really marketing the company to other territories in America. Um, He would get, you know, build a a school, a wrestling school, which would be uh, head trained uh, by Taz. uh Taz as well funnily enough would end up being the main merch designer for ECW oh wow um, wow and uh as a matter of fact merch was the biggest selling thing that they had in ECW he was the one that came up with a lot of the designs and I believe he was the one that came up with the ECFNW shirt the wow. iconic ECW uh merch uh this was at time as well ran coming around 96 97 um talent was leaving left right and center uh because of course at this time ecw uh, as as is a common thread was constantly struggling uh, to make sure that they even got you know checks through to wrestlers some talent weren't even being paid until like weeks yeah. after the fact and left right and center this was when like most talent were going to wcw and wwe it was also at this time Vince McMahon in 95 became aware of ECW whilst at the 95 King of the Ring during I think it was the match between Mabel and Savio Vega in Philadelphia the crowd suddenly bursted into chanting ECW ECW the story oh ECW man ECW 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 
the story goes, Paul Heyman, that Vince was like, what the hell, the hell is that ACW? Uh, get me, and when he found out it was owned by Paul, he said, get me Paul. And he said, I don't have his number. So he got Bruce Pritchard, who had his number, to call Paul. And thus, a working relationship with the WWF started in 95. Mm. Uh, and in 1996, we had the kind of very first incarnation of a cross-promotion invasion. Uh, and in your house pay-per-view, or an event, the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer, Paul Heyman and Taz, were in the front row of this event. And then suddenly, during one of the matches, Tommy Dreamer goes up, uh, jumps the guardrail, and starts attacking uh, the, the wrestlers in the ring. Um... Of course, McMahon acknowledged that these were ECW guys. They were a local upcoming promotion uh, in Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, and this wouldn't be the last time that they would uh, jump the guardrail and attack. As the next Raw, um, during a match between the Body Donners and the British Bulldog and Owen Hart, Bill Alfonso and Taz uh, invaded that show and would end up jumping the security rails and attacking all of both both teams. Because, uh, of course, it was Taz, and he was the most powerful, deadly man in all of professional wrestling, remember? Um, this was also around the time, as well, that Jerry the King Lawler would call ECW extremely crappy wrestling, call it boring. Oh, got him. Oh, no. And, funny enough, this would also start a rela relationship between ECW and the USWA, which would have been Jerry Lawler's wrestling company. Um, fun fact... Rob Van Dam's debut in WWE wasn't during the invasion, but it was during it was in 1997 where Rob Van Dam made an appearance uh, on Raw with Jerry Lawler as his manager, saying that he's now in the big bucks of the WWF and ECW couldn't afford to have me around. He would in, be in a jobbing match against. Well, actually, no, I want you to guess who he faced in his debut match on Raw in '97. Okay, I got two answers. I think it's either X Park or Mr. Ass Billy Gunn. Dan, you're, you, who do you think? Uh, Alright, <clears throat> so it's 1997. Rob Van Dam's in a jobbing match. He won so... this match, by the way. Just, just so you know. <laughs> oh, so he was in a match against a jobber? Yes. Oh, the Hurricane? Now, remember, nah, this is 97. This is 97. Oh. So a person who was a complete jobber in 1997. I'm going to say, because I think at this time they were doing it, was it one, Was it a young one of the Hardys? It was Jeff Hardy. Well, good guess, man. <laughs> Very good guess. <laughs> I, 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 I do remember that they used, they used to job in like WCW a bit oh. as well. Yeah, so yeah, this would be yeah, this would be um... yeah, Jeff Hardy before he found face paint and still wore tights. <laughs> it's a horrifying image. Yeah, Basically, short hair as well. <laughs> Basically, he does look like the first incarnation of the Young Bucks at this time. I can't even lie; that's actually accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, at this time as well, with the working agreement between both companies, Heyman wasn't being paid by either company um, to do this. Um, he was kind of getting paid in the exposure kind of sense of getting more... Uh, I'm sure you two have heard that one before. <laughs> way too many times. Uh, but it also gave, the, gave him the unique opportunity to bring talent that was either in developmental 
or the lower card talent to come to ECW, work on a character, work on getting over with fans to then go back to the WWF. So almost like a feeder system, not like a developmental company under the WWF umbrella, but very much Mm. like a feeder system. So at this time, you would see Al Snow perfect his head gimmick at this time. Uh, Droz, uh, Darren Drozdov actually spent some time in ECW um, as well. You're reminding me that Droz actually was a thing. Droz was actually a thing, <laughs> if you, and I'm not just that. something in uh, in Beyond the Mat. Um, and yeah. of course, the most famous one, of course, or the infamous one, I should say, being Bruckus as well. A big, towering, muscly man being in ECW was not kind of the fit they thought it would be he didn't go over very well in, uh, it in just so happens that every so often the few the history repeats itself when we get to the next episode <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact as well and i'm imagining that you guys definitely know this after the 1996 atlanta olympics Kurt Angle made an appearance in his hometown of Philadelphia yes. at an ECW show. I love this yeah. story so much. He uh, he went to the ring and cut a promo about how much he was proud to be from Philadelphia and uh, happy to see the show. Uh, this was uh, now in uh, in retrospect, Kurt Angle said this was kind of just his way of looking at um, wrestling and seeing if it was the thing for him. Because did you know that he was actually a sportscaster for a local Philadelphia news network before he became a wrestler? I did not know that. I didn't, but in a weird way, I can kind of see it. Yeah, no, I can definitely see it. You should check out his uh, 8x10 headshot of it. It's it's incredible. I will link that if I can find it. Was that when he still had the box cut? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. yes but of course the most famous part of kurt angle being in ecw is that he saw sandman oh, being crucified by raven <laughs> i love this oh my god man. how have we just started talking about fucking sandman <laughs> because man just... sandman is like again it's one of those things like new jack where he kind of deserves his own episode because the sandman is a very unique character in that he's great as a character but Good lord, is he not good as a wrestler? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, that's a point. Like, we'll put that. We're gonna put that on the board. You're gonna hear, listener. This is how the sausage is made. Put that on the board because I'm very fascinated by Sandman of all people. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, very the, the, there's only there's only one way. Like, it's hard to even describe the Sandman because, like. <laughs> To, in my head, the, all the entirety of Sandman's character is just the kendo stick. In <laughs> that's and it. beer. In, yeah. And that's it. In and all... entering the ring to enter Sandman. <laughs> in all honesty, when you think about it, he was the kind of progenitor to Steve, the Stone Cold Steve Austin. The beer oh, drinking he was, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the image of like Kurt Angle being like, mm, well, I'm not sure if wrestling's for me, but there's a promotion out of Philadelphia and he comes in and he just sees a man being crucified and is like, I've came to the wrong place. Yes. What have I done? So, it's still, it, so uh, did I like come on the wrong day or like what's going on here? Is this like a Marilyn Manson concert? Uh, he eventually rectified that mistake by watching an episode of, of Raw is Raw. Uh, and then of course... 
of course, the rest is history. He would end up going to US. Uh, somehow, I think that's a better choice for him than ECW with Raven, but... Yeah. Especially when Raven was in that part where he was kind of stealing the sad man's kids, brainwashing them to become a Raven disciple. <clears throat> yeah, I would say that uh, was a, good, a better decision to watch Raw. Non-wrestling listeners. <laughs> Let me try and dig myself out of this hole. <laughs> uh... To describe Raven in ECW, Raven's uh, gimmick per se was that he was like a cult leader. He was like a precursor to the Ministry, yet infinitely more terrifying and infinitely more sinister than the Ministry ever was. And good lord, Um, can that man cut a promo. (laughs) Oh, Raven's Raven's incredible. He's an amazing wrestler, and uh, as people have said, he just didn't work with WWE because WWE or WWF, as it was at the time, just wasn't willing to give him the creative control. The moment they did give it to him, uh, they canned it after one week because his long-form story didn't work after one week. Yes. Uh... Let's not forget, of course, that uh, his earlier incarnation as Johnny Polo. Apparently, that was the best thing. That Hell WWE yeah, had Johnny Polo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Let us move swiftly on. 1997, ECW broadcast their very first pay-per-view called Barely Legal, which was main evented by Terry Funk beating Raven to win the ECW World Championship. Uh, the I think it was all the um, pay-per-view companies really didn't want to work with ECW because they saw them... I'm not surprised. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> and mostly, and Paul Heyman attributes this actually to the UFC, um, at this time, of course, John McCain had kind of banned uh, UFC for kind of being like human cockfighting. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the pay-per-view companies thought that ECW was um, extreme cage fighting and thus decided not to broadcast them or put them on their um, pay-per-view networks. It was one company that gave them the benefit of the doubt because they went, oh, no, wait, oh, you're wrestling. Oh, yeah, we do that with WCW and WWF all the time. Go on, do it. Thank God it wasn't the episode where where, <laughs> where Raven crucified Sam. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Otherwise, they would have had a lot more problems. A, this is just a side note because you mentioned extreme cage fighting, and I'm now just picturing. Could you imagine if Ken Shamrock worked East CW? Oh yeah, fuck yeah. me! People would actually be dead. <laughs> God no, man! That 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 is an alternate reality. That uh, that would be very interesting to see. I'm just well. picturing like the long-winded rivalry between Taz and Ken Shamrock for the ECW oh, championship. Holy shit! I don't think I'd want to see that. I think I'd be too scared. I'm honest, honest to God. Nah, nah, mate. Taz fucking dies. <laughs> oh, so yeah. After that, you know, all of the pay-per-view companies, after they saw the buy rate numbers of Barely Legal, were like, oh, wait, hang on, this is really good. All right, we need to get a taste of this. We can get some money out of this. Get some money out of this, uh, for sure. So, man, what can we talk about ECW at this time? Um, It was going strength to strength. There were a lot of people coming in after the kind of like the first kind of mass exodus that they had. Payman had scoured uh, Mexico. He had scoured Canada, um, Europe, Japan and the Americas to, to find all of this talent. And of course, man, we have to talk about Rob Van Dam and of course his iconic TV title reign, which lasted two years. Uh, Rob Van Dam was, goodness, the, 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 I dare say the biggest success story of ECW. 
I'd oh, agree yeah. with that. I'd agree with that. I mean, to be fair, at this point, he's still kind of referred to as Mr. ECW. Sometimes that's given to Tommy Dreamer. Yes. But, like, I think when you show people Rob Van Dam, they're like, oh, he, the, the guy from ECW. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that title reign put him on the map. And walking out to Pantera's walk as well always helps. Oh, dude. Oh, <laughs> that's hype. Um... But as well as just being part of a tag team with Sabu as well, was really iconic for Van Damme, being managed by Bill Alfonso, who would do nothing but just blow a whistle the whole time. I mean, oh, dude, look, Bill Alfonso man, was great. Bill be Al- <laughs> have it be Bill Alfonso be a hype man. <laughs> the guy could talk dude, about the, a minute, the, that's the thing. The Bill, Alf- the Bill Alfonso chair sequence. <laughs> Which is amazing, that match against I Jerry Lynn. I love it so much. So good. It's so stupid. Of course, at this time as well, Taz being the biggest, one of the biggest names in in ECW, I should say. Not having the World Heavyweight title ends up creating his own called the Fuck the Fuck the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, I don't know if he was there at this time, uh, but didn't Lance Storm work ECW for a bit? Absolutely. He had a, an amazing tag team, actually, with Just Incredible called the Impact Players, yeah. uh, being managed by Dawn Marie as well. Yes. Of course, yes, we, we could talk about the women of ECW as well. Lita actually oh. was there as Miss Congeniality. Hell yeah, Lita. Hell yeah, Lita. And then, of course, we talk about Francine. Yes. <laughs> of course, everyone has to talk about Francine and talk about ECW. But, of course, you know, Toby Dreamer's now wife, Beulah McGillicutty, was there as well. What Paul name? To, all I'm saying is Paul Heyman had a good eye for very attractive women. But, of course, it all kind of pales in comparison when all they would ever do was have Joey Styles scream, Cat fight! Yeah. yeah, it was the nice. To be fair, to be fair, time. I think if we're talking ECW, we've got to talk about Joey Styles. Man, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The guy, the guy is the voice of ECW and the sole voice of ECW. May I add, he was the only yeah. guy on commentary throughout its history. Yeah, wow. which for for reference for wrestling companies is very kind of odd because you normally have. Well, I mean, WWE now has like three different commentators and then probably one guest commentator as well. But normally you would have it as you'd have it as one person who actually like analyzes the wrestling and then one person who's there to make jokes. See Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of just been the standard now because like um, uh, TNA, uh, uh, Don West and Mike Tanay almost got their names mixed up. Um <laughs> And yeah, so it's kind of standard to have two. So just to have one guy doing commentary is generally a bit odd. But to yeah. be fair, Joey Styles managed to make it work. He he is he is enough for two. Yeah, he that, is, the, that is, he is very the color accurate. and play by play man all rolled into one. And it helps as well uh, that he always had Paul Heyman in his ear, feeding him one liners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he was it was it was he was really good, Joey Styles. Oh, fantastic fantastic commentator of course now there are a couple of things before we go on to the 2000s and to up to uh, its decline there are a few things of course that i have passed by um such as the mass transit incident um and uh, yeah. of course yeah. the many title reigns of a lot of people and certain storylines involving tommy dreamer and the sandman but i feel like i could not do them justice and of course, there's been so many videos from other YouTubers and other podcasts that have talked about them that I feel like it'd be a bit of a, a moot point 
at this at this time and space for a, I for don't, a starting I don't think podcast. we'd have I don't think we'd have the time to properly give them the attention that they need and deserve because trying exactly. to ex- trying to explain mass transit is a long mm, task. Yeah. It yes. takes a lot. Trying to explain like the storyline but I assuming the I'm thinking of the one you're thinking of between Tommy Dreamer and Sandman. It's going to take time. Yeah, it'd take a lot of time to process. To try and explain even a single thing that Raven did in ECW at any point is going to take <laughs> at least an hour. Indeed, indeed. So I will, for, for, for now and for this one, for this podcast, I'm going to fast forward to 2000 and, of course, their big, big draw, which is Mike Awesome as ECW World Champion. How to describe Mike Awesome? He is a tall tall dude built like a brick house uh but you've already sworn like enough man brick shit house yeah i've already <laughs> sworn <laughs> i don't know what you're fucking doing mate <laughs> all right built like a brick shit house uh but could move like a bloody cruiser weight um but he a was terrifying also, combo <laughs> he was yep. so very famous infamous dare i say for being one hell of a deathmatch wrestler um, so much so that he brought his rivalry from FMW with Masato Tanaka over to ECW, and then three of them, or the two of them, proceeded to have insane hardcore matches. Dude, the the rivalry between Mike Awesome and Tanaka is so ridiculous. Looking back, uh, but the reason I bring Mike Awesome up is because in two thousand, Mike Awesome. Uh, as, as the current reigning ECW heavyweight champion stormed a WCW Nitro ring and attacked Kevin Nash now the story behind this was as follows uh, as ECW heavyweight champion Mike Awesome had not been paid wages for quite a long time actually and rumours were abound that Bischoff was trying to tempt Awesome to come over to WCW and do a very similar angle to what Medusa or Alundra Blaze had done with the yeah. Women's Championship. Um, I think after... I think it was due to not wanting to kick the hornet's nest as well as an injunction filed by Paul Heyman. Um, uh, WCW refrained from having Awesome appear on Nitro with the belt, but did acknowledge him as champion. So that, that compromise was kind of reached there. But... The fun story of this is this was the same time, 2000, Taz had just made his debut in the WWF, an amazing debut at the Royal Rumble yep. against Kurt Angle, which is why I said, it's Taz! Uh, it's Taz! <laughs> um, to a massive pop at Madison Square Garden. The reason I bring Taz up as well is because the agreement was reached that Awesome would drop the title in an ECW show, a WCW employee, may I add, as, 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 as awesome was, he would drop the title to Taz, who was a WWF employee at the time. <laughs> wow. Of course, this would, this would, and I remember this vividly watching this on one SmackDown, this would prompt a very weird and rare sight of seeing Taz walk out SmackDown as ECW champion with the t- championship around his belt. Also, that was a personal fuck you to Hayward, to ECW, to do that, and would have a match against Triple H, who was the reigning WWF champion. 
funny how things turn around, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, it's just like trying trying to follow that situation and like yeah. an ECW wrestler facing a WCW wrestler to drop the belt to a guy who was from ECW that went to WWE to then end up facing Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such it's weird how these things turn around, isn't it? <clears throat> and so we reach kind of like the final part uh, of ECW. ECW on TNN. Um, finally, they've got national broadcasting. Perfect. Amazing. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great fruitful deal as Paul Heyman had hoped. So it was initially going to be a three-year contract that they had signed in 99. But they had no advertising and really no budget. Because somehow I don't expect many companies would want to stick their companies next to ECW. <laughs> yeah. Just a fort. True. Maybe a hospital. True. <laughs> but funny enough, right, despite that, ECW became TNN's highest rated show. Can we get the view on what else was on TNN at the time? Um... <laughs> God, I don't even know what would have been on the... I think it was the Nashville Network, I think TNN stands for. Please, anyone who's in America, correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that's all you need to kind of know what would have been on TNN if it was the Nashville <laughs> Network. Um, but unfortunately, that contract didn't last very long because in 2000, they dropped ECW in favour of Monday Night Raw. Uh, and of course, Paul Heyman goes on record saying that he believes that because of this and not being able to land another national television deal, this would ultimately cause the demise of ECW. Um, but man, what was going on in ECW at the time? The rivalry between Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam. <laughs> wow, this, this is a yeah. hell of a rivalry that was happening. Um, and God, God, it, span it spawned so many iconic moments for both wrestlers and many a gif and tweet that is still being shown to this day. <laughs> um, <laughs> just the amount of gifts and tweets I see of Jerry of like sequences of Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam. Of course, the one you brought up was the Bill Alfonso chair spot. It's just these two. <laughs> oh, I love it goodness. so much. If you want to talk about t like two guys that just that, that just clicked instantly, it was these two. Like Jerry Lynn at this time, believe it or not, Jerry Lynn at this time was considered a veteran wrestler. Like. I think for the most part, I think Jerry Lynn's been considered a veteran wrestler for an incredibly long time. <laughs> but this was when he, he, he finally got... Well, it, the, like, it was like when you push. mentioned Terry Funk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but no, Jerry uh, Lynn, this was the, like, the first time Jerry Lynn had kind of been given a main event push in any sort of company because he was jobber to the stars in the late 80s and early 90s for WWF. And of course was Mr. JL a masked superhero in WCW, which, of course, Mr. JL's one and only true claim to fame in WCW was the match in which Dusty Rhodes screamed and exclaimed, He got a bicycle! Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course he Oh, does. my goodness. But, uh, no, uh, so, yeah, we have that uh, which being shown, the main thing being shown on ECW, but it was also at this time... Uh, that they had quite a lot of assets. They were making action figures. 
they uh, had a, a massive videotape library and had a distribution that was making gangbusters, especially in the UK as well. Um, and of course, they had made a deal mm -hmm. with Acclaim to, to make two video games. Uh, of course, because Acclaim's deal with WWF had fallen, uh, had fallen apart at that time. And THQ had picked up and of course were making the SmackDown games. Um, so of course using the exact same WWF Attitude Engine they created two ECW games that weren't very well received <laughs> but believe it or not it's the first video game appearances <laughs> for Rob Van Dam, Sabu The Sandman, Tommy Dreamer New Jack <laughs> so yeah, of course New Jack's New most, Jack? Of course, New alright we need to get the game we need to get it <laughs> no of course New Jack's most famous video game appearance would be in Backyard Wrestling 2 um, oh my god <laughs> oh man funnily enough that would be Sanjay Dutt's first video game appearance as well would have been in the uh, backyard wrestling funny isn't it how these things turn around indeed holy shit yeah funnily enough um, of course we wrestlers at that time were coming up Joey, Joey Mercury was uh, working for ECW yeah. at this time Steve Carino of course was making waves in this mm -hmm. time in ECW uh, Rhino, Rob Van Dam, Tommy Dreamer. Um, Love Rhino. And Rhino, of oh, course. Yeah. And Rhino, of course. Um, but in 2001, it just became too much. The The debts and the finances were just piling up and Paul uh, took all of his assets and sold them to WWF uh, shortly after the acquisition of WCW's assets and libraries. And thus kind of ends... This bookmark on part one of the history of ECW. So, Jim, I mean, I want to say false feelings, but I think I think you guys have been on a trip, and it kind of all started when I said that they were going to be purchased by Disney, didn't? <laughs> that 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 I I, I will have, never I forget. I do have oh. one thing. So you remember when we said what else was on TNN at the time? Go on. Uh, I've only been able to find. Um, I've only been able to find a few specific things. Uh, my personal favorite being NASCAR. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, the PGA Tour. And then also, for some reason, uh, a show called Roller Jam, which was a TV series uh, that brought roller derby to TV. <laughs> Other than that, I can find nothing else. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember that show being broadcast on Challenge back in 2002. I think uh, they were showing so the old reruns of it. The the continuation of this is that uh, following a change in demographic, TNN then got relaunched as Spike TV. <laughs> there you go. What? And thus, yeah, that's, it, that's that all is, comes back into a, a full circle. That's a fucking plot twist if I ever heard it. <laughs> oh, man. That is a way to end this episode for sure. <laughs> yeah. It just so happens that every so often we come back to Spike TV. <laughs> It always comes back. To be fair, the the the, all, the constant cycle is that we always at the end, end up mentioning Triple H somehow. Triple so. H and Spike TV now, isn't it? <laughs> oh god. Oh, and Jeff Jarrett. Let's not forget, we always bring yeah. up Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> somehow he finds way to. They all find ways to insert themselves into things that don't concern them, which is basically Jeff Jarrett's time in TNA. But I, we yeah, move. I feel like the Nexus point of the wrestling space-time continuum is Jeff Jarrett. 
<laughs> it's like he is he is the point of that if you change anything that's when the space-time continuum has a hole ripped into it and everything as we know in the wrestling world ceases to exist so what you're saying is that jeff jarrett should have had a run in ecw yes. oh my god <laughs> against terry funk for the ecw heavyweight championship <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Jarrett walks into the ring. Terry Funk is already bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, everyone, you think that's crazy. Boy, boy, for the next part, do we have stuff even crazier because we are going to be talking Dude, are about. We're getting into something about WWE CW. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to talk about the high. The high. I say the one high. I'm not pluralizing the high because there was only one high <laughs> and then the yeah. extreme low. <laughs> Low, low, lows of ECW in WWE. <laughs> to give you an idea, with like people talk about how WWE doesn't hold resentment for other companies, which is a lie. Let's talk about this. Was just like this was just like a company fully set to just completely besmirch the legacy of a company they acquired, <laughs> and then some. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, that is all for uh, the next episode. But, uh, well, Dan, can I actually say this as well? Because I don't know. Has it been confirmed? Because um, we may not be alone in this episode. Uh, I will just lovingly check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I-, I love how we're keeping Reardon in suspense for this one. Yeah. Because yeah. we might, we might, everyone, I might keep this, no, you know what, I'm going to keep this uh, in, because we might just, might just have just. a special guest with us in the next part. Yes. So, Dan, oh, would, you like to, would you like to announce who we might, who we will be having on the next part of, uh, of uh, part two of ECW? Yes, yeah, so for W, for our time to talk about WWE CW will be joined by the lovely fellows over at the Making Cafe podcast. Oh, invasion! 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm so glad we didn't bring up the invasion because no, come on, let's be honest. That's going to have to be a podcast or three podcasts worth of content there. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. The invasion is its own thing entirely because I have my own opinions on the booking of the invasion, and generally the first thing I start with is don't involve ECW at all. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just don't involve ECW. Bring them in later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna be a very, very exciting episode for sure, and one that's gonna yeah. be very, very. Um... Dude, I get to talk about WrestleMania 23. <laughs> I get to talk about Braden Walker. <laughs> Who's gonna Dude, we, get Braden, we get Braden Walker. I get an opportunity to mention Yoshitatsu. This is going to be madness, isn't um, it? It's going to be Spartan. The only, I mean, the only other person from that, the only other person from that period of ECW that I really like vividly remember. And I use vividly in a very specific term, but the only person I ever really cared about was also William Regal, because he was on the revived ECW. <laughs> yes, and uh, of course, we will mention all of that, as well as uh, probably the only shining beacon of it, which was Kofi Kingston. 
But until then... Dude, Kofi Kingston, Kofi Kingston and Christian's run. Exactly, exactly. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Reardon and Adair. We've been very extreme. Over there has been Paul Heyman. And you've been watching... Of watching, listening to the Sweet Chinweb podcast. We'll see you on the Listen very to the product, next damn it. One. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see you on the next one. Bye, everyone. Extreme. Bye. Extreme. <laughs>